Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hi, good morning to you on a Wednesday that is really a Friday, so get set for a big-time weekend. High school football finals. You've got, obviously, the Pacers tonight, Circle of Lights downtown, World Cup, United States and England taking place, tapped off with, of course, NFL games on Thanksgiving. Bucket game? Bucket game. So it's a huge weekend. Name that movie theme, by the way. Uh, Pac-Man the movie. That's literally what I thought. Planes, trains, and automobiles, folks. Is it really? Yeah. Gosh, it has such an old-school Nintendo game sound to it. You know, which is a fabulous movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And and I've watched, you know, it's like anybody else. I've seen the movie a thousand times, right? The scene at the end where he goes back to the train station, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen the movie, which came out the same year that the Bullseye Event Group was first putting together Super Bowl <laughs> and Masters packages. Um the scene when Steve Martin goes back and John Candy looks up at him and says, you know, I don't have a home. Mm-hmm. I, it I, Like, it literally chokes me up every single time. And I know what's coming, right? But there's just something about it. There's a, I, I was pat, going along the uh, social media thing yesterday, and I guess like there's a, it's like the anniversary edition's coming out with like 75 minutes of never-before-seen things. And there's a scene with John Candy eating a hot dog while smoking a cigarette at the same time. <laughs> and it's incredible. That, that pretty now, much sums it up, right? Today is not... Planes, trains, and automobiles to the degree it usually is. I was reading that, you know, with a little bit more of a remote work, the busiest travel day of the year won't be as busy as it usually I is. I can see that, yeah, because people, that's a good point. People can travel really anytime right. they want, right? Nonetheless, um, travel and safe travels and happy Thanksgiving. Jim Mercer traveled into the interwebs once again to, as always, send out cryptic messages. This wasn't necessarily a video or a tweet, but rather... Kevin, you were skulking through his likes, is that right? Uh, yeah, and I, full transparency, someone alerted me of this. I don't, if I'm scrolling Jim Mercy's likes, I probably need to reevaluate some things. This one from Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> That'll be Thanksgiving dinner, right? Tomorrow night at the Earth's Passing House. the turkey leg, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, nonetheless, Jim Mercy with a like on this tweet. Hey, at Jim Mercy, don't listen to all the Ballard critics. They don't have a clue. This team is close. We have our left tackle of the future. Ballard's D is a beast. This year has missed expectations, but stay the course with Ballard. He'll get you low those Lombardis. You make anything of Jim Mercer throwing a like on said tweet. You know, I would have to see how often he likes a tweet, but sometimes that's just a way of saying like, hey, thanks, appreciate it. I, I, I read what you sent. You know what I mean? Um, and it's not entirely off base except for the following. And again, this is going to sound like it's some sort of like an indictment or attack on Ballard. I'm, not, I'm just speaking realistically. I think Chris Ballard's good, uh, you know. However... This is year what for him, Kevin? Uh, this is year six. And they still don't know who their quarterback of the future is. They're going to have to address that. And at some point, they're going to have to address it with a quarterback, theoretically, that is coming out of the draft, which means a year to get that person acclimated, more often than not. Usually, it's year two. 
So now we're looking at minimum year eight before you're really pushing in. And at that point, you're going to have questions in terms of players that you want to have around a young quarterback. But you've already got $20 million committed to a guard. You've already got big money committed to a linebacker whose health is in question. You know, you've already got you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with the running back position. There are just a lot of question marks that that are natural question marks in building a football team. I'm not saying that that those are held against Chris Ballard. It just creates challenge because it's like that whack-a-mole game. Like literally every time you think you've got something figured out, here comes another mole over on the right-hand side. And you're, oh, I forgot about that one. And it's just going to be a challenge because they have never addressed the quarterback situation. So – for what, one playoff win in six years? I, okay. But that's going to quickly become year eight or year nine. You know, I'll be honest. I don't have a great read on Chris Bauer's future in Indianapolis. Um, I think it's really awkward. Jeff Saturday's presence on staff. And again, I think Jeff Saturday has the ear of Jim Irsay much more than Chris Bauer does right now. Um, you know, but I asked Irsay two weeks ago at that press conference if. You know, Chris Ballard will be a part of the decisions in 2023, the head coaching decision in 2023. And Ursay was very strong in his conviction. Now, we've seen Jim Ursay make public comments and go 180 on those very, very quickly. Um, I think in that setting, if he really had a question about Chris Ballard, he could have been like, we're at a point with our franchise right now where everyone is being evaluated. It's not just Frank Reich. You know, we have questions about everybody right now, and as we should, because we haven't won a division title in this era. We have only won one playoff game. The quarterback question is still out there, and Ursay elected not to go that route. Um, and then I think when he later followed up with Mike Chappell and Bob Kravitz, I mean, he was pretty staunch in saying, we feel like the offensive line personnel in the building is enough to be playing much better football up front. It seems like when he's had opportunities to talk about the personnel on the roster, he has backed that. And I guess a question that I have now, Jake, is with Frank Wright gone and Jeff Saturday in the building, in a way, is like maybe the biggest Chris Ballard excuse gone? And now we're really evaluating him? Correct. Because you can't just say it, it was all coaching. It was all play calling. It was all offensive issues. Now, you've made a change there. So are we evaluating the personnel a little bit more critically? Because I watched Sunday and watched that offensive performance and thought, that's same old, same old. And to me, it's more personnel driven offensively than just making a change. Did Frank Reich have some issues? Without question. But that is an aspect to the final six games, I guess eight games, you know, play two of them under Jeff Saturday that I have. But, but what did I say, Kevin, <clears throat> coming off the Philly game, if you were looking at areas, scapegoat is probably too harsh a word, but if you were looking at areas where you were where they felt they needed to make change, quarterback, they, they tried that. Offensive coordinator, they tried that. Head coach, they're trying that at some point. I mean, aren't we kind of moving up the ladder here? Right. Mm-hmm. Isn't the water rising up to the chin at this point? But again, go back to some Ursay's comments about Ballard before. 
you know, greatest GM hire of the 21st century. He's been a lot more of a public backer of Ballard than I felt like he ever was with Reich. Agree with that. And financially, yes, it's probably just a drop in the hat, but do you think there's any ego that Jim Mercy sits there and says, man, am I really going to fire that dude I gave a contract extension to 15 months ago? I just fired the other guy I gave an extension to 15 months ago. Well, deja vu on that, right? Remember, these guys, you know, we had long conversations into the night, and you know they're attached to the hip now. But they weren't. He fired Grixon the year before he fired Chuck. But I'm just saying. That was after, you know, there was a lot that went into that Grigson firing, I think. But, um, you know, it's just a, it's a very awkward read on the on the situation. The thing that, to me... And the Jeff Saturday angle. Very peripherally here, open disclaimer on that, to be transparent. But I think there's an, there is a comparison that can be made about Saturday and Ballard in this regard. Jeff Saturday, the difference being we know Jeff Saturday. When Jeff Saturday came into the building for the first time, you know, everybody knows him, has been around him, you know, knows who he is. We we're familiar with him. Chris Ballard, we were not when he first came in the building. However, Jeff Saturday, when he came in, you know, it was a breath of fresh air. It was optimism. It was a new approach. It was fresh. It was fun. It was energetic. It was all the positives, right? And theoretically, those stay the same because we like him so much as a guy. But it's going to come down to winning football games. With Chris Ballard, Kevin, the first – and you would know better than I on this. So you tell me if you totally disagree with me on this, which would be fair. But my observation from the outside is that when Chris Ballard first – for the first three to four years – Anybody that I heard that worked within the Colts, for the most part, when I talked to it, were like, oh, guys will run through the wall for Chris Ballard. They just love him. He is first-class individual. He's a family man. He's a good Christian man. He's a great guy. He's smart. He just, but guys love him. He, he is great. I mean, he is wonderful. I don't hear bad things about him now, per se, but I don't see people contorting themselves now to talk about how great he is. And I did hear that in the beginning. And the the... The shiny new toy factor of Chris Ballard seems to have gone the way of inevitably what happens to people in the football profession, which is over time, there becomes more vulnerability about them. You know how many shots Michael Jordan's missed? You know how many games Michael Jordan's lost? Would you agree with that assessment or disagree? Yeah, I I, I would agree. Um, again, I get zero inkling from people inside that building that they have issues working for Ballard or anything like that. I would, there was certainly more chatter about being under Grigson than there was being under Correct. Ballard. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know if that is in play. Again, I go back to the Jeff Saturday presence. And if Jeff Saturday at the end of the year says to Jim Mersey, hey, I'd love to do this again, but you know what? I've really thought about this person to run a football team. Don't you think Jim Mercer looks at Jeff Saturday and says, okay, I trust you more than I trust the other guy? Uh, or if Jeff Saturday says, you know, I'd love to do this again, but I'll be honest with you. I was talking to Lincoln Riley, and he said he'd like to coach the NFL, and it would be really fun to build a team for him. I, I mean, that's kind of an absurd hypothetical, but it, wouldn't that also be one that Ursa would go, you know, it's interesting? There are so many questions for this organization the rest of the season and entering the offseason that have – just tons of dominoes. And Kevin, that's tons my, of dominoes. I, I guess my critique would be this. 
if a guy is the general manager of your franchise that you want as a pillar of your franchise and has built it the right way in year six, there shouldn't be those questions. No, I think that's a great point. That's It's as simple as that. Especially those questions, Jake, it's such important parts of your Correct. franchise. Every important part We're of your franchise. We're not talking about, you know the fifth offensive lineman i mean we are but we're not acting like that is the most pressing or you know your special teams unit the problem is, not is the fifth, fifth offensive lineman is your left tackle yeah that's <laughs> right the that's the problem God, and i look at the steelers the most matchup, important position and i i know the steelers are not good record wise tj watts played three games this year he looked pretty healthy to me last week cameron hayward alex highsmith boy if i'm matt ryan this one oof. I don't know if I'll be looking forward to Monday Night Football. All right, Stephen Holder coming up next here. It is a beautiful Wednesday in Indianapolis. If you are traveling today, looks to be a gorgeous day. I think tomorrow is supposed to be really nice as well. So great to see you for the Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you for tuning in to Kevin and Query. Stephen Holder next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A gorgeous Wednesday here in Indianapolis, Thanksgiving Eve. Got a loaded slate sports-wise coming up the rest of this week nationally, locally. Pacers at home tonight, Indiana and Butler in action, Purdue tomorrow night. I got to wait a little bit for the next Colts game. That will be a Monday night, the first Monday night home game since 2015 for Indianapolis Colts. The Colts and Steelers inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. To talk more about that and the current state of the Colts, let's go to the Payless Slickers hotline. He is Stephen Holder. Stephen, let's begin here. Your favorite Thanksgiving dish is what? Ah, uh, hmm. Uh, you, you know what? It's actually not stuffing, but dressing. You know the difference? Yeah, I am, I'm team stuffing, so alert me a little bit because I know there is some confusion, and I am one of those people on dressing and stuffing. Well, so, like, look, I'm not the cook in the house, but you know, my wife's family is from Georgia, so you can you can see where I'm going with this, right? So, yeah, so, so dressing is like stuffing but on, like, steroids, okay? It's got... It's got you know bits of meat in there. It's got it's it's really rich. It's like you could eat it like as a meal. Like, it, think of it as a casserole in a in a way. Uh, that would be my you know way of of kind of explaining it. So yeah, you have to experience it. So yeah. that's my thing. And you stop over the Holder household. It sounds I'm telling like. you, man. I, I got to go with, and I don't know if this is like a query thing or like we. I call it corn pudding. I don't know. What, I mean, like corn cream corn cream corn. There you go. Uh, ever, not, I'm down with that too. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Big fan, um, Stephen. In terms of the Colts, as Kevin was talking about, I guess there's kind of two two points here. One would be this season, and then the other would be the overall state of the Colts. And mm-hmm. at some point, you make the transition from one to the next. Are we are we getting closer and closer to the point where the Colts say, okay, we're, we're just going to grab the wheel here and completely redirect it, which it kind of looked like they did, and then all of a sudden Jeff Saturday comes in and it's like, no, actually, we're going for this year. Where do they stand in terms of their philosophy at this point? Right, so 
so overall, I think whatever moves were made, and and we can quibble about whether they were good or bad moves, but whatever moves were made, and and basically, I think driven from Jim Irsay, most of them originated right from Jim Irsay. They were made in an effort to actually win this season. I don't think they were necessarily well conceived in every instance, but that was the intent behind them, right? So he was very much and everybody else in the organization was very much about, Hey, let's, let's try to fix this. Excuse me, fix this. Let's try to win now, et cetera. Didn't work obviously, or hasn't worked so far. Um, but I agree with you. I do think that there's like this, even if you, even if you think that they are still fighting for something this year, it's really hard to just look at the state of the team and not, or just ignore this like 800 pound gorilla which is, where do they go from here? I, I find it very hard myself, you know, because as, as a reporter, you know, your job is to get in there and cover the day-to-day, what's happening this week, right now, and also balance that with the, the, the longer-term and larger issues. And I think it's getting harder to do that. I, I think you're on to something there. Um, you know, at what point does that come where we completely shift? I mean, I think that depends on the individual, but I really don't think you can ignore that at this point. Cause I think it's kind of daunting, frankly, when you look at the long term right now, I don't feel great about where this team is in the long term. Kind of on that point again, Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. I said to Jake in the last segment, when you fire your head coach in a way, I think, I don't know if it exposes your general manager, general manager, but I think it puts more focus on that person and their roster construction because basically what you're saying is the coach was an issue now you're bringing in a new coach and theoretically if the personnel is up to snuff the new coach will get more out of that and you know you can look look at these last two games and you can certainly point to stretches where the Colts have played better under Jeff Saturday Uh, but am I over like analyzing how we view these final eight games I guess now final six games based off Chris Ballard's microscope versus what we had maybe when Frank Reich was here? Well, I think it's a natural progression, right? I mean, I mean, I talk to a lot of fans, and both in person, on social media, et cetera, and the overwhelming sentiment was, oh, we got to get rid of Frank Reich. I mean, look, let's be, let's be honest. That was never going to be a, a quick fix. There, there are no quick fixes for this team, and I think that's the point. <laughs> that tells you something's wrong with the team, Right. And and that's not that's not a defense of Frank Reich. I mean, he was always getting fired, right? The results are what they are. I, I don't think it got to a point where no one was making the argument that that he was going to have some long and prosperous career here after after where the way things were going this season, right? So I don't want people to to misunderstand. But I do think that yes, I mean it it tells you all right. You can fire the coach. It didn't really change anything. You don't feel differently about this team, right? I mean, who feels completely different about the Colts today than they did two weeks ago? I don't know anybody who does, right? So, and, and you certainly don't feel differently about that long-term situation that we just talked about. So that brings us back to, okay, how did they get here? And what decisions brought them here? They aren't coaching decisions that brought them here. It's, it's roster decisions. And I do agree with you. I do think this puts a spotlight on Chris Ballard. 
and there's no one else to really look at. Look, Jeff Saturday ain't taking any blame here because how? Why? Well, you know, how is he at fault? <laughs> he just got here. He doesn't even know everybody's name, man. You know, so no, this is it's going to go back on Chris Ballard, and it should. I mean, that's that's how this is. I mean, he's going to be evaluated, and he should be evaluated. Again, Stephen Holder is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, do you think they would go back to Sam Ellinger at any point this season? Um, I, I, the only time I thought they might is if they're like officially eliminated from the playoffs, which isn't going to happen. E- even even if they lose their next couple of games, it's not going to happen for several weeks just based off the, the, the math. Um, do you think we see Ellinger again this season if everyone's healthy? Well, I at least agree with that point that that if they are mathematically in, in contention, then no, I, I don't see it. Um, especially because as bad as the offense has been, or at least as bad as the offense was on Sunday, what one thing Matt Ryan has done is he has cut out the turnovers. I'll give him credit. He's gone two games without any turnovers, which is an eternity compared to what we saw early in the season, right, where, I mean, he was turning it over multiple times per game, which is really what led him to be benched in the first place, you know, whether that was the right decision or not. That's, that's what drove that decision. So he's done – that's actually a big piece of, of the puzzle and, and a big reason why, you know, I thought he could have some success this year because I, I didn't anticipate him being a guy who turned the ball over like that, you know. Um, but they've got to do more offensively. It's not enough. But I also don't think you're going to get that kind of boost from Sam Ellinger anyway. So uh, to the question about whether we see Sam again, I, I think clearly not if they're mathematically in contention. And I think it would really boil down to maybe the last couple of games if they're out, you know, maybe um, just as an opportunity to, to, to further evaluate maybe. I could see it, but... I don't think in terms of, you know, giving the team a spark or any of that, I don't, I don't think it accomplished that, you know. So I, I don't think you do it for those reasons. It would really just be a matter of further evaluation of Sam Ellinger, which is not the worst thing in the world, I suppose, at the very end of the season. So we'll see. Steven, have they permanently made the move here at left tackle? I think so. I think so, uh, for better or worse. Um, and depending on the play, it's worse. <laughs> Look, um, I understand where Jeff's going with this, Jeff Saturday. I mean, you know, he was an offensive lineman himself. I know what he probably thinks is that, you know, going in and out of the lineup is hard and, and probably counterproductive to your development. It, definitely counterproductive to development, right? So Bernard Raymond playing left tackle in the long term is probably good for him. In the short term, it is awful for the Colts because it is rough. And by the way, uh, this matchup coming up on Monday is, is going to be tough. I mean, he's got two uh, defensive ends he's going to face here, or I guess outside linebackers. Um, I don't think T.J. Watt really um, changes size. He's probably going to get matched up with, with uh, Braden Smith. But um, – you know, he's going to have a matchup himself. What is this guy's name? Yeah, it's uh, Alex Highsmith. He's got like nine Alex sacks Highsmith. on the year. This dude, by the way, I had to, I had to do a little research on him yesterday. I know it doesn't sound like I know what the hell I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, I need my coffee. The point is, this dude has been killing people. He has three multi-sack games this year. And it's kind of come out of nowhere. I think he was a, 
I want to say he was a, a second-round pick a couple of years ago. I don't know a lot about him, but this guy's having a breakout year. and They got Cameron Hayward, he, too. Then they have Cameron Hayward, right. So it's not like you can slide the protection over there and help out Bernard Raymond every play. You can't. You just can't. And so, and then you've got to consider, all right, well, do we put the tight end next to Braden Smith or do we put him on the other side and help, help our, our young left tackle? Because T.J. Watts on the other side, you know, so I, I think this is going to be, this has train wreck potential in terms of pass rush for the Colts. Train I'm not wreck saying, potential. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm with you, Steven. I am, this might be the most worried I've been about the Colts offensive line going up against the D-line. Yeah, look, I, I mean, this is not about the Steelers being good, but this is about, look, the NFL is about matchups. It's all about matchups. And this is a terrible matchup. Right. The, the Steelers' strength, the one strength they do have is up front on that defensive line. And the Colts have struggled throughout this season, as we know, on the offensive line. So I'm just saying. And Watts only played, I think, two and a half games. So that's a reason why you won't see big sack numbers from him right. or, or, or the team in general. Uh, but he is now back and healthy. Again, Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. Stephen, on the, you know, like, positive storyline front I think Paris Campbell would certainly fall into that category uh, do you point to any other young guys I mean I think what Grover Stewart is doing I don't know if he classifies as a young guy anymore but that dude is deserving of a Pro Bowl without question um, the fact that he signed an extension a few years ago and is playing you know even at a higher level um, I think is just a great representative of who you would want for your organization. Anyone else you'd slot into kind of the Campbell category as, you know, young guys or guys that you were waiting on that have shown you something this season? Uh, I think one guy I'd say is Isaiah Rogers. I, I think, you know, they, it, it's been a while, I feel like, since the Colts had, um, you know, they've taken some stabs at, at cornerback. And some of those guys have panned out, others haven't. You know, I, I think about, you know, some, some recent graphics over the years. But this one, you know, he's a six-round pick. I, I think they were stubborn to play him more. <laughs> and now that he is, I mean, he's he's really been pretty much lights out. I, I really like what he's done. And I think he's confident and he's a playmaker. We haven't seen the huge play from him yet, I, but I think there's, there's the potential for that, <laughs> excuse me, to come later, you know, at some point here where, he's going to jump some route and he's going to take one to the house. You know, I think he's got that kind of potential. So that's fun to watch. And, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see what he, what he does the rest of the year. I think that's, that's what you're looking for though. That's where this team is at, where they're probably not going to make the playoffs. So what you should be doing, if you are a young player on this team, is you should be doing everything in your power to make sure that you are in their future plans. The other guy I would say, and he's not young per, per se, but uh, Bobby Okereke this year, I have I've changed my my view of Bobby Okereke this year, and I think that he has he has gone from a guy who was talked about as as having a lot of potential, and I kept hearing about it, and and it was just like, all right, he's good, but I I never see him take the next step. I think he took the next step this year, and so I, I love to see that and, in a contract I mean, year too. Yeah, exactly. So th- I think he's actually given them something to, to think about in terms of how they approach his contract. Whereas before, I thought, you know, I could take it or leave it. I thought he was a little more replaceable. Maybe he isn't. You know, we'll see. I, I think they'll have a decision to make there. Does the play, and I realize the contract becomes an issue, but does the kind of the combo play, we've talked about this before, of Zaire Franklin and Bobby Okereke 
I, I hate to say this about an elite level talent, but okay, does it lessen? Does it lessen the blow of not having Shaquille Leonard if that's in fact what is going to be a long term thing? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I do think that you do you still lose something with Leonard out there just because of the 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 sort of him being the the sort of heart and soul of the team, and also. His his turnover potential, right? You you can't replace that, and they haven't they haven't turned the ball over hardly at all this year, and it's been glaring. Okay, glaring. Even though I really like the way the defense is played, that is I think separated them from being really a, an elite defense. They haven't taken it away. But that being said, I mean for for what my expectations were, without you know Shaquille Leonard. Uh, to what they've gotten from Okereke and, and Zaire Franklin, I, I think it's been really good. I, I did not anticipate this kind of leap from Zaire Franklin. Uh, kudos to him, by the way, because, you know, the football is, is often about opportunities. And, you know, a guy like that, we see him in, in one light as a, a special teams guy who excels on special teams and, and has leadership capacity and all that. But there definitely was a distinction made between him and a guy who could play you know, 70 snaps on defense. And this year, he has demonstrated that he can. So, you know, he's under contract. We'll see what happens in the long term. But, um, you know, whatever his, his future is, uh, he has proven that he can play linebacker at a very high level and that he's not just a special teams guy. So he took advantage of his opportunity, and uh, good on him. Stephen, when I was a kid, Stephen Holder's our guest, by the way, on the Payless Sugars Hotline. He's with ESPN.com. When I was a kid... Every so often, there'd be a division where every team was hovering around 500, and the nickname would become "It's the division nobody wants." With this Colts team this year, is tight end the position nobody wants? It's a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, I would say that. You know, Mo Ali Cox made a play the other day um, uh, against the Eagles, where he made a guy miss, and, and he got to the first down marker, got a few extra yards after the catch. And I think I remember saying to Zach Keeper, who was sitting nearby, you know, it's one of the first times I've seen him get some yards after the catch, <laughs> you know, which was disappointing. Um, you know, Tyler, Tyler Granson has done it a little more. Uh, but, yeah, the, the position's been just a little bit middling, I think, I would say. I, I don't think bad is necessarily the word, but just, you know, just kind of meh. And I think, you know, we saw – we saw some flashes early on. You know, we, we know that they had a couple of rookies that we liked in training camp, and we had to see how they developed. But you know, I just think overall, maybe it's a product of just the passing game being the way it is, too, you know, to, in, in their defense. But I, I don't think the position has been quite as dynamic as, as I had hoped. So, you know, we'll see. I, I do think they have to rethink that position. Um, in the long term, I, I thought that they could have benefited from a veteran signing there, uh, but their veteran signing, in their estimation, was Molly Cox. And, and maybe he deserved the opportunity to be the guy. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the long term. But I, again, I don't know. Overall, I thought a little underwhelming for sure, yes. Stephen, we'll end with this. Um, we haven't talked about it yet today, but it was probably the most popular topic on Colts Twitter yesterday, and that would be Nick Sirianni's. A fiery emotion at the end of that game on Sunday. I look at it like this. That was Nick Sirianni being Nick Sirianni, a fiery individual. It was his love for Frank Reich and 
defense of a man that, frankly, he wouldn't have the Eagles head coaching job had it not been for Frank Reich. Um, and then I also look at it and think it was a bit of a middle finger to Jim Irsay um, in that you let Jeff Saturday do something that Frank Reich didn't want to do, and, and that would be you know the benching of the quarterback. And I, I, there's probably a little bit more of like the awkwardness of you wanted to hire Jeff Saturday more than you wanted to fire Frank Reich, and I, I just don't think Sirianni loved that either. Um, what did you make of Sirianni's emotions at the end of that game? I think you hit on something important there. And I know people who love Jeff Saturday will, will take this the wrong way, but I don't care. That's fine. I do think that is for people who love Frank Reich. Okay. For people who, who like Nick Sirianni in particular, people who, who were, who were, who will defend Frank Reich. Right. Uh, the next, excuse me, the, the Jeff Saturday hire really is salt in the wound. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's not that Frank Wright got fired per se. I think you are right when you say it, it's as much about Jeff Saturday as it is Frank Wright being fired in and of itself. Because I think coaches can handle the fact that they get fired. Uh, I, I really do think, though, if you're Nick Sirianni, you are correct, by the way. I don't think there's any way he's the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles without Frank Reich. He went to bat for him with ownership, Jeffrey Lurie, uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Sirianni, I think, had a minimal chance of getting that job without Frank Reich, who had a lot of credibility with that organization. So, I mean, listen, I, I get it, right? I mean, he owes this man a lot. And he was the first call he, he made after he got the Colts job. He's like, I want you to come to Indy with me, you know? So he was the guy who followed up on his promises to this kid, you know, who, who he worked with years ago. And now he's, you know, a thriving head coach in the NFL. So he owes him a lot. I, I get it. It's, um, it's emotional. But I agree. I think, I do think, you know, that there was a lot of sensitivity about, all right, you, you fired my friend, but then you hired this guy. And it's not a knock on Jeff Saturday himself. It's more on what Jeff Saturday represents, which is, you know, someone who maybe in Nick Sirianni's estimation, you know, didn't deserve it, right? I don't know. I'm not putting words in the man's mouth, but I, I, if I had to guess, I think that has a lot to do with it. I would I think, Jeff, Stephen. I think it'll be, I think it's an interesting, interesting move, but, but I get it. I, I also get it. Do you think it could be as simple as this? And that is simply that Nick Sirianni's been in that building, he's been in those rooms, he's been in those meetings, and he knows the time that has been put in by everybody within that organization. And so therefore, it just is, I guess to Kevin's point, kind of a, hey, listen, man, so like these guys are putting in 18-hour days, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, 360 days a year, and you're just going to bring in some dude off a TV set because he snapped to Peyton Manning 15 years ago? That's an insult to me. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, Not listen, to me. I'm saying I mean, to people, them. Yeah, pe- people got to really understand, I mean, you know, what it, what it takes, you know, to do the job that these people do. Now, whether, they're, whether this is necessary or not, I don't know. But I remember talking to Pep Hamilton about this before when he was the offense coordinator here. That man would sleep on the couch in his office, like on a semi-regular basis. All right, that's a that's a really terrible way of life. Okay, but that's what that's what they did. You pour your entire life into it. So I mean, you got to understand, man. I don't. I, listen, everybody works hard on their job, but I also 
admit that I can't relate to that. You know what I mean? That's a whole different level. I sleep so at work from 7 to 10 a.m. every day. Say, yeah. <laughs> it's been very apparent this week, too. <laughs> Excuse me? Okay. <laughs> Thanksgiving naps from 7 to 10, Monday through Friday here from Jake Query. Stephen, have a great Thanksgiving, man. Um, I know it's spent, you know, typically working a good amount. So um, appreciate you always coming on with us every Wednesday and uh, enjoy the dressing. All right, you got it. You should put that on a, on a billboard, uh, Thanksgiving naps. That'll, that'll really show. Yes, That's right. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you, Stephen. All right, guys. Jake, you gotta think Jeremiah Johnson goes a little turkey suit tonight, right? Excuse me? Oh, like a turkey themed suit tonight. Well, on the I mean, he's dressed as a cardinal in his lifetime. I think at one time That's he might have been a tiger. Point. Yeah. Didn't even think about that. He's got some circus certainly background. We, certainly we know that he's able to pop some buttons on his jacket. So yeah. Maybe just fe- I mean just feathers off the off yes. the back. He could wear this hat if he wants. Should I give him this hat for tonight? Do you think they would allow him to wear that hat for one stand-up? I would hope. If How much Ford- of your sweat is in there, though? Uh, okay. We can wash it between now and tonight. D- tip time is not till 7. JJ comes on air at what, 6.30? JJ, what, what what do we have in the closet for tonight? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm actually more concerned about my uh, wardrobe for the seven-game road trip. I've never had to pack for seven different games on one trip and so i'm in the middle of figuring out what i'm going to wear tonight but also what i need to get clean for next week so i don't have necessarily any turkey themed suits but usually on a night like this there will be some shades of brown and and maybe a little uh you know yellow and orange right because that's sort of thanksgiving theme but no no turkey heads no costumes closest thing to a hat i've ever worn on the air was uh cj miles once was wearing a good luck uh headband and I wore a headband for one of my hits to uh, discuss the superstition. But I, I don't know that it – I might be a letdown tonight, guys. I'm sorry. You don't right. see a lot of headbands anymore. Did that go out of vogue? No, you don't. Yeah. That Let's, is a good point. I yeah. was just – I'm still worried about the other night when Neesmith fell, JJ. I was – I got nervous for you there. I thought, is he going to help him up? Does he clean up the water? What do you, what do, you do in that situation? Yeah, you, it's one of those situations you cannot plan for. And the, the initial reaction that he had, the look on his face was such that, you know, he's probably one of the players on the team that I know the least. So I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> he looked pissed. What, how, yeah, how to react. <laughs> and he was mad. And I was like, are we going to have to cut this interview short because we've got an injury? But then all of a sudden, quickly it changed and he was okay. And, you know, he kind of got back to it. And then the only matter uh, after the interview was making sure the floor was clean, so there was no warping issues there. So, uh, yeah, I'll, it was a little, uh, it was an unusual walk-off interview. But my son was really pleased because the interview went viral on House of Highlights. So he thought mm. his dad was a really big deal because he was on House of Highlights. Look at that, cool <laughs> dad Jeremiah Johnson joining us on a Wednesday here. That's big. Yeah, you know what else would go viral is if you wear this hat tonight. JJ, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this hat off over Gamebridge. Well, I'll put it in the lobby. By the way, it was it was good seeing you last night. What were you? I was uh for those who don't know, Tyrese Halliburton. Um season of giving dinner. I, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but Pacers have done this Thanksgiving dinner now for twenty five years and Tyrese Halliburton was the um I guess the main representative for the team with a lot of teammates there last night. I was in charge of uh, fruit and dressing. What, what, By the what was way, your duty? I, I emailed to do that and they never got back to me. Should I take that personally? Really? Yeah. 
I got, I got an email. I, I, I can't imagine that to be accurate, Jake. But, I, I, I'm being uh, totally serious. I sent a thing saying, like, they emailed us saying, would you like to do this? And so I emailed and said, yes, I would like to do it. And I never heard back. Well, we'll make sure in the 26th season of giving yes. Thanksgiving mm-hmm. uh, dinner that jQuery has a prime location. I was actually with the gravy. So oh, cool. uh, nice. we kind of shared the mashed potatoes and gravy. Uh, Rick Carlisle was a couple next to me with, with the turkey. Um, you know, sometimes you can get on the cranberry sauce or the sweet potatoes, and it's not as, it's not as big of a hit. You don't have to refill your plate as much. But uh, the mashed potatoes and gravy, I feel like it's kind of second to turkey in terms of everybody. Everybody wants the mashed potatoes and gravy. I was next to TJ McConnell, O'Shea Brissett, and then the Halliburton family was in my um line i guess if you will they just seem like great people and it strikes me of like i remember when he was traded here and you read about his background from wisconsin and the iowa state days and it's so important i just think he's wired the right way jj for wanting to be here long term being the centerpiece um, being the leader, being the catalyst, playing the position that he does and how he plays it, I think helps all of that. Parents seem like great people. Uh, I think Pacers fans should be beyond happy that Tyrese Halliburton is quarterbacking this. Yeah, and if you think about you know growing up in Wisconsin and the short drive that it is for his family to be able to come down and be at the games, and they're sitting on the front row, one or two family members at almost every single home game. And then I went to uh, a basketball camp that he put on at, at Riverside uh, before the season started, and his mom and family members were there. And you know the other story that I think is really cool that maybe we'll try to tell at some point if we can figure out a good way to do it is I think his dad, maybe not still, but at least up until recently, he was a high school basketball referee. And so that, I mean, I think you've got to be wired different, not differently, but at the right way to be able to, to do that, be a community type of person. And I'm sure so many times as a youngster, he went to the games and he, you know, watched his dad referee basketball games. And that's, that's kind of part of your upbringing. And that I think goes a long way to who he is right now. JJ, this matchup tonight, Jeremiah Johnson is our guest from Bally Sports Indiana. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. This matchup tonight with Minnesota is intriguing because of the Timberwolves' unique size and flexibility with Carl Anthony Towns, who can kind of move around different areas offensively, and then Rudy Gobert. I mean, those are two big guys. Does Indiana have to kind of alter their lineup or the way Rick Carlisle, what he puts out on the floor, based on countering what Minnesota has? I don't think so, because with Miles Turner and Jalen Smith in your starting lineup, you're you're already bigger than some teams, and I think you did get almost a little bit of a dress rehearsal in those two games against the Orlando Magic. It's a different level when you're playing Gobert, Towns, and Edwards than necessarily Bamba and Bobol, but you have similar height. Actually, Orlando probably had even more height, and I think the Pacers will probably have some of the same players available. We'll see about Isaiah Jackson he missed practice yesterday, tweaked uh, an ankle, I believe, towards the end of the game on Monday. So th- it's not like you're going to just put Goga in the lineup because you can. You need to counter that size. I think the, the question is the wing, and Aaron Neesmith being available is really big for something like this because he does give you that size at the three position to be able to, if, Aaron, if uh, Andrew Nemhart's not available, to be able to guard some of those wings. So I don't know that you necessarily make any adjustments, but the injuries could force you to go deeper in your bench. And, you, you know, to your original point, maybe it is a James Johnson kind of night. He's provided such a valuable contribution to this team just in terms of 
being a locker room leader and a team chemistry guy. But there have been a couple of situations this year where it was a James Johnson night. We saw one in Brooklyn where he played really well. I think both the Brooklyn games. And this could be one of those nights where you look at him and you tell him before the game, you've probably played against uh, Rudy Gobert a number of times in Carl Anthony Towns. You have that experience, that size. We may need you. And then fouls also could play in, could play into this one as well. We got comedian Michael in the YouTube chat. I'm sure folks attending were happy that Kevin wasn't next to Benedict Mather and no one would have gotten any food. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I saw Benedict. I just a casual wave, nothing more than that. Come on, Michael. Oh, you didn't get a selfie or anything? No, no, no. I just, you know, you got to be professional in that in that mm-hmm. situation, Jeremiah. You've, you've certainly been there before. Um, <laughs> now tonight, uh, I, I think I think we get the popcorn ready for Rudy Gobert and Miles Turner. Like, just based off, you know, probably the two best rim protectors in the league. They have had some public comments about each other before. This stems from, I think, internationally, the United States and France, you know, almost, what, three or four years ago now when Gobert got the best of Turner. And then last year, I mean, Turner outplayed Rudy Gobert in Utah, and we saw, I would call it a dust-up. And did they both get ejected from that game last year? I was trying to think. Um it's hard for me to remember details of some of the road games when we weren't actually there. But, you know, you, that one lives on because of Turner's reaction. I think it's one of those gifts that some of the He was pissed, yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. Was That's twice with that happy, word right? so far in this interview. Yeah, but he was re- – like, that was a Turner that he had a look in his eye that, honestly, it was probably re- reminiscent of a Metal World Peace look in his eye. Exactly, and so uh, that's a good point. I'm looking forward to seeing that matchup, and Miles Turner probably goes into this Rudy Gobert matchup with as much confidence as maybe he has had at any point in his career. He's not someone that is lacking confidence, but the consistent production we've seen from Miles Turner over the last couple of weeks in a clearly defined role, and it's a role that he seems to be embracing on both ends of the floor. I, I am looking forward to the matchup, and, I, and you're right, I there's nothing wrong with just a little bit of bad blood to make a game have a little extra juice, a little extra intensity. And so I will have my eyes focused on the center matchup tonight. How about this? They could do like a little two-man match tonight. We could have Chris Denary and Miles Turner against Michael Grady and Rudy Gobert. I think you got to go. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe a little, little, little tag team. Denary playing two on two. Yeah, Denary has like suffered concussions in the human bowling thing, and and oh, Grady is worried about bowling. like his suit being up to Milan standards. <laughs> so like advantage Pacers on that one. I mean, that's not even fair, right? Um, yeah, Denary has taken one for the team before. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. JJ, what what player? When you look at so far where the Pacers are, which I think all of us would say, you know, certainly have exceeded expectation to this point. What player has most surprised you just in the fact that if you were to go back two months ago to now, you would say, I had no idea we were going to be talking about this guy or getting the contributions they're getting from him that they're getting. That one guy would be who? Probably Andrew Nemhart, because I wouldn't have been surprised in training camp if there was, was a random Fort Wayne Mad Ants game that he got some extra minutes, because he I thought of him as the third point guard. I still thought that T.J. McConnell would get a mo- the majority of the backup point guard minutes, and I didn't quite envision playing multiple true point guards at the same time, and so what we've seen is all three of the point guards have played a significant amount, probably T.J. McConnell, the least amount. But the fact that Andrew Nemhard has started 
what, five to six games. He's injured right now. I think it's just a sore knee, so hopefully it's not going to keep him out a long time. But what he's already done as a second-round draft pick, as someone who you thought of as, I mean, when the Pacers drafted him, I thought this could be a really good backup point guard down the road. And to be a starter in his first two months and to be so calm, and he was a guy at the I mean, I'll still go back to this, the end of the Miami Heat game, I think it was one of the either the first game he started or the first kind of big moment for him. He's on the floor to guard Tyler Hero, who was their only offensive option, it seemed like, on that night, and and shut him down and, and made the play. And so that's something that I did not expect. He would definitely be the biggest surprise. But I won't be surprised by anything I see moving forward because now that I've watched him in game situations, it makes sense because no moment is too big for him. He has that college experience. And he just he just has a good feel for the game. And then I even see last night his brother starring for Creighton in in the Maui Classic, Maui Invitational. Yeah, so you can understand why he has that you know that moxie. I guess is the best way to put it to to be able to perform. But I didn't expect it when I was watching them practice in late September. It's kind of a funny moment last night. Again, Jeremiah Johnson from Valley Sports with us here on the Payless Lakers Hotline. Uh, Tyrese Halberton's dad came over to TJ McConnell last night and was just hyping him up about his performance on, on Monday. Um, and, and you could almost feel like the here's the dad of the starting point guard, and he looks at what TJ McConnell does with that second unit, and he, he might be the biggest fan of how TJ McConnell handles that unit. And it was something we talked a little bit about yesterday, JJ, of we forget amongst all the issues last season. I mean, TJ McConnell missed 55 games. And you didn't have an Andrew Nemhard on your roster. You, you didn't have, with Brogdon out as well, I mean, you were scrambling for so much of last season at the point guard spot. That's why you went out and got Lance. So I, I just think having McConnell back... Obviously, Buddy Heal, the Miles Turner fall into this category. You, your vets have bought into a very public rebuild, and I don't think that's universal around the NBA. Yeah, they bought into it, but they also weren't satisfied with it necessarily going to to plan exactly like some rebuilds go. They wanted to go out and teach this team how to win basketball games, and I think that's in a very important quality. Whenever you interview the youngsters, they bring up what the veterans have done, and they get along so well together. Sometimes when you've got guys that are, I mean, let's face it, Benedict Matherin's 20 years old. He's not going to the bars on the road. Uh, T.J. McConnell's got a kid. Uh, you know, you, you've got a wide disparity there between some of these players, but they all seem to get along like they're in the same class. It's kind of like this high school football team where, there's a good senior class that you know has been there and done that, but there's some talented sophomores, and they figure out a way to all get along well together. That's only a two-year difference, but it's kind of sometimes two years is a lot in high school, right? So I think that's a good point. I think that everyone's enjoying what T.J. McConnell is bringing to the table, and uh, it, you can't predict team chemistry, but I do think it's important as you're building a team to have different kind of. Uh, personalities, and this team does have that. You can't have everybody be the same. So you've got, you know, Buddy Hill's the guy that can be really loud in a huddle, and he can get after somebody. And James Johnson is really serving a role that I mentioned earlier. And then you've got some quiet youngsters as well, but it all seems to fit like a, 
like a perfect puzzle right now, and it's been just fun to watch. And we'll see what happens now. The next couple of weeks are going to be really uh, – they'll, they'll tell a lot about where this season will go because the schedule is going to pick up quite a bit. Jeremiah, in terms of bringing it to the table, Thanksgiving dinner, the Pacer player that would bring the most personality to the Thanksgiving dinner and the Ooh. Pacer player that would be the most quiet and just very quietly be in the corner. Uh, the jQuery, you need to get this uh, question sponsored. The jQuery put you on the spot That's question of the morning, right? You know, we it would be sponsored by uh, one of those Tide uh, detergent pens. When you've got a spot, you it just blots it right out. Same thing here, right? I'll put you on the spot. You just, you've got an answer. Take it right out. All right. Well, I was fortunate enough to go to a, a team dinner on the road last week, so I did get to see a little – uh, personality of the room, and I would I would say that James Johnson was probably um, the loudest, the most boisterous of the group, and so he's someone that has earned the right to be that kind of personality. He also has the stories to share, so I think he would be someone that you'd really want to sit next to at the Thanksgiving dinner because think of all the battles he's been on. I think this is what the tenth NBA team, so he's played with almost anyone you could ask for in the NBA. So I would say most personality probably there. And right now, I still say Terry Taylor, but I think he's coming out of it just a little bit. He was so quiet last year when he burst onto the scene. And and credit Terry Taylor. This is just a little note to make about Terry Taylor. Today, he'll dress in his sixth straight day of playing basketball games. So he's he's living the dream. If he would have played in that game against the Rockets last Friday, he'd have a chance to play in back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back by playing two games with the Mad Ants and then uh, four games with the Pacers, but he's still pretty quiet. Um, I've talked to him before, you know, off the court, and and he sometimes you have to really listen to pay attention because his actual voice is is pretty quiet. So that I don't know that he would be in the corner, but I guess that would fit the answer to your question. You know, for comedy, T.J. McConnell was telling people last night that he worked in the accounting department for the Pacers, and they're like, "Oh, are you a player?" He's like, "No, I've been in the accounting department for four or five years now." Yeah, I mean, he looks like he yeah. could be teaching me algebra. Yes, <laughs> seriously. I know, I was like, well, you've heard that story when, when Tyrese Halliburton's first day in Indiana, TJ had a hoodie on and he, a hat pulled down and he just kind of shook his hand and, and Tyrese didn't even really acknowledge him. And, and TJ said, I'm not one of the ball boys. I'm TJ McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. Yeah. JJ, if you want the hat, just text me. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. I will. I will take the hat. I don't know that I can fit it in on the broadcast, but I'll do my best. All right. That's all I ask. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Okay. All right. Back at you guys. Nine o'clock hours. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Actually, our final hour of the week. Again, it is a beautiful Wednesday morning in Indianapolis. Sounds like uh, temperatures will be close to about 60 today and even tomorrow for Thanksgiving. So, uh, awesome time to be traveling. Safe travels out there. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Kevin and Corey and enjoy time with family and friends this weekend. Our next guest is Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. You usually hear him Fridays with us at 9 o'clock. He's bumped. 
Bumped it up for us with the Monday night game this week and the shortened week for our show. Maytay, let's start here. And I know it's a bit controversial, but how overrated is Turkey? Uh, so, so overrated for me. Uh, I've really never really enjoyed Turkey. In fact, I don't even eat it outside of one day a year. You know, I get it one one three sixty fifth, if you will. Um, and so even, even that, I sort of eat it because that's what you're supposed to do on that day. So it's funny because... Um, you know, tomorrow we'll get together with my wife's side of the family for a few hours in the afternoon after I'm done with work for a little bit. And then Friday, same thing. I'll get together with my family for a little bit uh, in the evening on Friday and we don't even do Turkey. We'll do like a, like Mm -hmm. a steak or a, you know, like a little chicken, but we, we've bypassed Turkey altogether because every one of my family sort of agrees that Turkey is not really, uh, in our top five in terms of most enjoyed meats, if you yeah, will. Not so. in the upper quartile uh, 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 <laughs> of yeah, what you're telling that's me. Rare air. Yeah, interesting. Wow, that's a that's quite the we have not gone there yet, but I respect that move by the uh Taylor Bunch. What about ham? Yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't ham be a suitable replacement? Ah, gosh, ham. Ham's okay. I mean I you know, ham and turkey I could take it or leave it. You know, like I'm never I'm never throughout the course of the year saying I am craving ham. <laughs> Gotta have me some ham. Right. I, I mean, I don't personally like ham. I just know that, you know, that is one that seemingly people, if they're not going to go with turkey, they go the ham route. But are you like a, so what is it, like prime rib at your house for Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, well, my brother is, my brother during during the pandemic, he went all in on becoming like this master griller. Um, he really learned every trick trick of the trade on the grill because he had nothing to do. We were all staying at home. And so he was making a, a bunch of meals at home, and so he really learned how to you know trick himself out on the what do they call those things the the, the flat top um, you know the, those blackstone grills, yeah, uh-huh. and so he has really become just master chef, and we we kind of just rely on him. So whatever he's making, we're eating, especially when we get together around the holidays. So I think this year he's making like this hibachi Ooh. chicken and steak set up on on thanksgiving or or our thanksgiving on friday night so i'm actually really looking forward to it so yeah we we get together in the spirit of thanksgiving and we do everything we're supposed to do for the holiday we just don't eat turkey anymore fair enough um matt taylor by the way who's the voice of the colts is on the payless liquors hotline matt coming off of the disappointment it's not just the loss to philadelphia but probably the fashion and the manner a game that felt in control for the Colts the disappointment of that do you think that I hate to say a longer week because it's only an extra day but do you feel like a team kind of needs time to reset from that or would it be better to get right back into it and just kind of immediately put it behind you yeah I don't know I mean psychologically I mean you see it both ways um you know from 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 my standpoint that's that one was tough it was really really tough and if you go back to the last two home games, and I know you guys have talked about this, it's been deja vu, or at least Sunday was the last time the Colts played at home because the Commanders and Eagles game, basically the, the same bad dream. You know, you're up 10 points going into the fourth quarter, uh, unable to, to close it out. You give up touchdowns in the last couple of drives. You give up the go-ahead score in the, in the final 90 seconds, and you lose both games by identical scores of 17-16. to 16. So, yeah, maybe maybe it is, I guess, beneficial this week where you have an extra day to sort of, you know, think about, uh, you know, the ramifications of that loss, um, sort of let it settle in, 
but then also, you know, try to regroup and figure out what you can do better in these final six games of the regular season here. Um, but it, it, this is the NFL. And, you know, what I mean by that is every game seemingly comes down to crunch time in the fourth quarter. And, and Kevin, I thought you had a good analogy earlier this week. I, I completely agree. You know, it's these fourth quarters of NFL games are like the final four minutes of NBA games or the last couple of holes that at the Masters, right? I mean, there's just extra pressure, extra intensity, and it doesn't really matter what you did in the first series of the game, scoring a touchdown. It's, you know, can you can you punch it in first and goal from the five-yard line, or can you make a play, you know, on, on third and goal from the seven-yard line against one of the best offenses uh, in the NFL when the Eagles had the ball there late in the game, down by six points? Um, you know, if you look at all the teams right now that are in the playoff field in the AFC, Sort of the common denominator of them is they, they all have good records, obviously, but they've been able to rack up good records because of winning close games. And so the Colts being, you know, four, three, and one this year in one score games is really not um, independent of just them in terms of playing a lot of close games. Everybody plays close games. You know, the poster child for winning, you know, ugly and winning late and winning close games are the Tennessee Titans. You know, they're doing it this year. They're five and two in close games, one score games. You know, they're I think they have like the second best record in the NFL um, in the last couple of years under Mike Vrabel of, of winning close games. So that's what you have to do in the NFL. You have to be able to close teams out, and it's a shame because this defense I think has played so so well for major stretches of the season, but they just don't have a lot to show for it. I mean, the Colts have held seven teams to twenty points or less on the season. I mean, that's a really good number. I mean, 20 points is a good number to post in the NFL. If you if you give up 20 points or less, you feel really good about your chances to win that game. But the Colts are 3-3-1 three, three, and one this year when they give up 20 points or less. So the defense has to be thinking to themselves, you know, gosh, like what what else can we do? But they're a good defense, but they have to be an elite defense because of just quite frankly all the offensive struggles the Colts have had this year. That's sort of their lot in this season. Um, so from that standpoint, it's frustrating because the defense has played very well for most of the year, but they just don't have a lot to show for it. Yeah, I mean, to that point in the one-score games, that was a huge Chris Ballard talking point at the end of last season. I want to say they were 2-5 and five in one-score mm-hmm. games last season. Um, and, and I guess moving on, Matt, and Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, put this here on the Pale Sickers Hotline. You talk about the defense. You know, if you would have said to me at the start of the year, First year of Gus Bradley coordinating that that unit. He's got Shaquille Leonard for, what, two games all season, uh, 70-some snaps. I mean, not even two full games uh, when you look at the the snap total. You don't have a dominant edge rusher. I I think that's fair. And Gakwe's had some moments, but I don't think he's been dominant. And your turnover numbers are way down, and yet you just laid it out. I feel like this defense has played January caliber football for you like mm-hmm. to me I, I just have a lot of credit for what Gus Bradley's been able to do because some of the 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 big things you point to in helping out your defense turnovers and that edge pass rush it hasn't been there yet right. it's a unit that's played winning football for the majority of the 11 games you've played and held Philly and Kansas City to season low in in, in points right, right. And, and and if you go back a couple weeks ago to New England sort of to, to drive home the point even further, I think the Colts only gave up like 240-some-odd yards to the Patriots. It was New England's still, worst yards per play in a game in like 12 years. Yeah, and, and the Colts lost by 23 points. Right. 
And, and so again, you're just not you're not getting help from the offense. And you know, we've been saying it all year where the offense is, you know, missing chances. Uh, you know, just the other day, one for three in the red zone, and they fumbled in plus territory. Uh, you know, I think four, fourteen of the nineteen turnovers on the season have come in plus territory. You know, so that's just killing your opportunity to get touchdowns and get field goals. I mean, how many games would the Colts have won if they just get one extra scoring possession? I mean, at least two in the last two home games, as we just kind of laid out. But I, I think you just kind of laid it out there, Kevin. It's been a really good defense, and I think you can, if you had to qualify the defense, you would say it's been really, really good. Has it been great? Probably not consistently. Has it been elite? Probably not consistently. But it's certainly played well enough to win more than you know the, the win total that the Colts have right now. And I think what's slowing it down is are those takeaways. You know, are those you know big impactful strip sacks. You know, late in games or getting after the quarterback and getting him down to the ground. You know, when the Commanders have the ball under ninety seconds, or, or when the Eagles have you know third and goal under two minutes. Those are the sort of the situations that, that are preventing uh, this Colts defense from bumping up a level from good to great to elite. So, you know, Gus Bradley, I think, has come in and, and established a culture in a short amount of time, and guys are buying in, and certain guys are really thriving inside this defense. You know, guys like Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner, obviously Zaire Franklin, who leads the NFL in tackles right now, um, but what they're what they are just mi- uh, missing. Those are just the, the game changing plays, the takeaways. You know, being able to give the ball to the offense with with short fields. Um, but even in saying that, I'm not sure the offense would be able to capitalize because they just haven't been you know to this point um, in the season, at least consistently. Um, and that's 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 the disappointing thing is just again the Colts defense has played so so very well consistently. But you know it's a 60 minute game and. You know, the Colts, unfortunately, have been burned by, you know, playing really good uh, 58-minute games or 50-minute games, and it just seems like whatever can go wrong um, ends up just, just dooming the Colts. They aren't, aren't, aren't or, excuse me, they're not able to, you know, overcome the one or two mistakes they make on a, on a game basis um, and, and, and overcome those things and be able to still get a win despite playing really good, but you know, those few mistakes end up just costing them in the end in terms of getting wins. Matt, when you look at Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is our guest. At the beginning of the game against Philadelphia, you know, obviously Indianapolis got Jonathan Taylor in rhythm. And, you know, he's getting good runs and they're able to establish on the ground. And then that went away quarters, you know, two through four, basically. I realize a lot of that is Philadelphia probably defensively honing in, making adjustments. But do the Colts have right now an issue or a problem when a defense does that, trying to open and massage things up offensively elsewhere in order to then keep defenses honest? Was it more about what Philadelphia did or more about Indianapolis's inability to counter that adjustment? Well, I know Rick's really big on this. You know, when you talk to Rick, um, he, he obviously studies the You're talking about Rick Venturi, right? Right, yeah, Rick Venturi. And when you talk to him about this, um, you know, sort of the, the theme against the Colts to slow down Jonathan Taylor, who last year, you know, over 1,800 rushing yards and, you know, led the NFL in rushing. Teams are they're going to stop him first and foremost. They're going to they're gonna take away the Colts' running game. Um, and they're just not, if they're going to lose, they're not going to lose because of Jonathan Taylor killing them. Um, so teams are playing what's called that double-think defense. 
And that's when, you know, everybody's sort of, you know, for layman's terms, it's the, the defensive ends are closer to the football uh, along that defensive line. And the Colts um, zone gapping offense or the running game uh, just isn't able to work as effectively against that defense. And Rick's thing is that he wants to see more diversity out of the run game. He wants to see more schematical uh, changes. He wants to see more direct runs, uh, some more powers. Uh, less gap, less zone, and the Colts don't have a, a true fullback. They don't really use one of their tight ends as an H-back like they did with Jack Doyle last year. Um, so Rick is very, very uh, you know, adamant that the Colts need to sort of become more diverse and become a little bit more um, you know, creative with their running scheme, and to this point, it, it's just, you know, the double sink is just killing them, and to your point, that first drive of the game where Jonathan Taylor nearly had uh, 50 rushing yards against Philadelphia when the Colts scored the opening touchdown, they were in that over defense. And they had some light boxes, only about six guys in the box, and the Colts hammered them. And then they adapted, they changed, and then the Colts you know, only averaged you know, 2.7, 2.8 rushing yards per carry for the remainder of the game. And so Rick is just, he's, he's wanting to see, you know, the Colts go out and get a fullback, be a little bit more um, aggressive. Uh, you know, we, he, even if it's like a guy like EJ Speed, you bring him in from the linebacker position and you line him up at fullback and you just get some more direct runs at these defenses um, and, and force them out of this double sink um, that has really, really given the Colts a lot of problems to, to find yards consistently on the ground this year. Um, so that that plus obviously you know the the passing uh, game uh, you know Matt Ryan for a lot of the year uh, for most of the season has been under siege you know four more sacks the other day so the offensive line just hasn't been able to kind of figure out you know how uh, teams are adapting to the Colts running style and then when they have to go through the air you know you're seeing some problems at left tackle some right at, at right guard you know um, uh, Bernard Ryman and Will Fries combined for. Two and a half sacks allowed the other day, and five penalties. So between all of that, it's it's been tough sledding for Jonathan Taylor in the ground game this year. Matt, kind of on that front, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, with us here. Um, you look back at you know some of the losses from last off season. Let's let's group them into three categories. Let's group you know, obviously T. Y. Hilton into one, Jack Doyle into another, and then let's combine Eric Fisher and Mark. Mark Lewinsky, because those were the two most frequent names at left tackle and right guard. Who do you think this offense is missing the most right now? Hilton, Doyle, or the duo of Fisher and Lewinsky? I just think I was just so impressed with what Jack Doyle meant to that running game last year. Um, I mean, he had so many blocks on the outside where he would sort of late in the down or late in the development of the running uh, attack he would seal his man off and turn a four or five yard play into a 12 or 13 yard gain for Jonathan Taylor because of the wham ability. And again, or if he's just an inline blocker on either the right side or the left side, or they line him up uh, as an H back, you know, the Colts just haven't been able to do those things consistently this year. Um, you know, Mo Alley Cox just isn't on the same level as Jack Doyle blocking. Obviously Kylan Granson still developing in that regard as a second-year tight end. Um, so I, I think out of all of those guys, I would say Jack Doyle is probably the most you know, most missed guy because of all that he did. And he did a lot of things that I think fans didn't really know about because they didn't show up in the box score. But if you go back and just watch the tape, 
he was so instrumental for the Colts' success in the ground game last year. And the other thing, Matt, that that he did that I'm not saying they they don't have a little bit of this year, but just so reliably, Matt. How many times, if you had to guess, over the you know the last two years? How many times on like a third and six when the play was breaking down did you have the excitement in your voice of the relief of the fact that Jack Doyle sprung himself free and was able to make a, a yeah. tough catch right at the first down line, right? I mean, right. he was the ultimate bailout guy, and I think they missed that. And he was just, I mean, his football IQ was just off the charts. So he, he knew where to go with the, with the, you know, not only with the football, but where to go to be open to get the football in his hands, you know late in the down, like you said, or like, I need to be a possession guy right here, and I need to, you know, sit in this window, or I need to get behind this corner, or I need to get in front of this safety to make this catch for, you know, this pass to be completed right there. So his football savviness, that football IQ, I think is missed as well. I mean, he's just, I mean, we all know. I mean, Jack Doyle was just a, a great leader inside that locker room and did whatever was asked of him. You know, some days it was catching four passes for 50 yards, and then he would go a month without a target, but he would be huge, you know, in, in the ground game, you know, blocking for Jonathan Taylor, springing out big runs. You know, he was just a, you know, a meat and potatoes guy. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that the Colts can hopefully get back to that. But certainly Jack Doyle is, is a very under-the-radar piece that the Colts just don't have on their team right now. All right. Well, if you don't want turkey... You head to the Taylor house. I mean, no no turkey, no ham. They just pick – I think you guys just pick up Steak and Shake burgers, and that's what you go with, on, good with on Thanksgiving, which I'm, I'm totally fine with. We just go to the butcher shop. We just keep the butcher shops in Indian business this time of year, right? Gosh. How about I a tenderloin? Thanksgiving tenderloin. Yeah, that'll work too. Just, I mean, just not real big – not big turkey people. So whatever whatever you got. I mean, turkey's there. We'll be, we'll be blessed, and we'll eat it. We'll be thankful. But in, in terms of the flavor palette, uh, chicken over turkey, uh, steak certainly over turkey. So we, we, we just try not to mess it up, man. I'm with you. I am totally with I, you. I'd like to know what percent of people tomorrow that will eat turkey actually like turkey oh. as opposed to just like, hey, we're just doing it because no, it's people, people raising their hands right now, you don't really mean that. 16%. Yeah. I like turkey. 16%. Uh, I'm with you, you don't Mark. mean that, it's Mark. Fine. I do. Uh, yeah, but it's fine, Jake. You don't really like it. Turkey well, sandwiches I, all year round. I actually, I, I'm in agreement with that. I eat turkey a lot. It's lean. I think turkey sandwiches are different than turkey you have on Thanksgiving. Right, like going going to the to the deli and getting turkey. Yeah, and having a turkey sandwich yeah. is different than like. I mean, when when what other time of the year do you make a turkey? Like, put a turkey in your oven. Right. Or yeah. go to a restaurant and be like, "Yeah, you like guys a, been? Uh, is that bird done yet?" <laughs> right. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a turkey sandwich in a pinch, you know, throwing on a, on a little wheat wheat toast there. Um, but yeah, I mean, no one no one ever says, you know, what I'm going to do today? I'm going to spend six hours making this turkey. <laughs> now, do you do you eat and or drink on game day? Do I eat and drink on game? I have a cutoff of so if it's a one o'clock game, I have a cutoff of eleven o'clock where I don't drink anymore because of the bathroom. The bathroom situation. By the way, we don't mean alcohol. You just good. mean consume liquids. Correct. Right? Is that I, what you meant? I didn't want that to come off the wrong way. <laughs> you know, if I got a one o'clock game, I'm throwing the vodka Putting down until scotch 45. Down. Melon camp's on. <laughs> I, I'm shotgunning beers. Right. Fourth right. quarter's right. here. Right. Yeah, the, the last the last shot of whiskey is at 1030 on a, on a game day for me. <laughs>
<laughs> so yeah, the bathroom situation at Lucas Oil Stadium is not good. Boy, you aren't uh, kidding, man. It is not good. So I, I don't I don't attempt to go to the bathroom. Um, so a way to prevent that is to just not drink before two hours before the game. Seven hundred twenty million, two elevators and one bathroom. No sips of water during the game to keep the voice lubricated. Uh, only only if I have to. Honestly, okay. only if I have to. I mean, if we're if we're on the road in the bathroom situation and the press box at the visiting stadium is different, then I might change it up. But if it's a home game, that that bathroom at halftime, hey, yeah, uh, yeah, I got it, some. It, I got some turn three platform tricks for you, Matt. Oh my gosh, that, that, that bathroom, for that's like that's that's a longer line for like the beast at Kings Island, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, mate. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Appreciate you um, jumping on with us on a Wednesday this week, and uh, enjoy the extra day leading into Monday night. I appreciate you guys. You guys have a great holiday, and I'll talk to you soon. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.